quite heavily on a wonderful book um, called The Folly of Prayer, which still hasn't arrived, but when it does, you can borrow it. I would lend you the electronic copy, but then you'd break into my house and use my computer. So you can have the hard copy book when it arrives. Uh, and, and we're going to come to Luke chapter 10 in the end, but we're going to go on a bit of journey to get there. So let's just read. This is one of my favorite passages. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, my alarm rings every day at two minutes past 10 in the morning um, to remind me, and I'll tell you exactly what it says. It says, 10 minutes past 2, pray for workers. Let's have a listen. See if you can spot which one is verse 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is uh, there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And stay in that house and and eat whatever and, and drink whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, that sticks to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So we've been looking at prayer for the last month or so, and we, we, we remember we saw the first week the prayer of Jabez, this, this honorable man, more honorable than all of his brothers. And what did he pray? He said, oh, that you would bless me, that you would expand the territory that I have, that you would, um, that you would be with me in all that I do, and that you would make sure that I am kept free or that I do not cause pain or sorrow. What an honorable, wonderful prayer. <clears throat> And then the week after that, we went back and said, well, that's a good prayer. What's a bad prayer? And we had a look at old Jonah and his, shut up, God, I know what is right. And, and I don't know about you guys, but that challenged me a little bit because I think I sometimes am very much like Jonah saying, not now, God, just do what I tell you. And we saw that's an example of how not to pray. Um, and then last week, we looked at, what did we look at last week? I can't remember. When prayer is not answered. Thank you. That's, that's very bad when the preacher forgets what he preached on. When prayer is not answered, and, and this idea of God being absent, and, and what do we do when it seems like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling? And, and we came to the conclusion that, that perhaps it's at those times that God is busy working in us and changing us and making us to be more like himself. And and, and perhaps there's even a hint that when it seems like God is furthest away, that he's actually so close that that we are blinded 
by his closeness. So this week we're going we're gonna to take a step back and say, well, let's, let's get practical about it. Let, let's see what does prayer actually mean in the real world for us now. And I want to suggest to you that, that when we pray, we're actually going to be doing something incredibly, incredibly dangerous. <clears throat> now this doesn't really make sense to us, does it? Because when we pray, we, we sit down and we go, Dear nice Jesus, I don't want to be unhappy or unwell. Or I really enjoy being really happy. And I really enjoy when things go well for me. So can I have another Jaguar? We, we, we've got this idea that, that prayer is about coming to, to just... It's nice. Now my English teacher in primary school used to get very angry when we said nice because she said nice is not a good word. And it's, it's not a nice word. It's, it's just nice. It's not wonderful. It's, but prayer is so much more than that. It's, it's not just gentle and kind and sweet. It is. It is. Prayer is gentle and kind and sweet and, and a solace to our souls. And, and, and Anna-Marie, like you shared for us this morning, um, what, what God replied to you. And, and isn't that sweet and, and just gentle as well? I mean, it's sad, but, but a gentle sadness. But, but prayer can be so much more than that. We, when we're praying, we are meeting and talking and being with the most exalted, the most highest, the most powerful being in all of the universe. We're meeting with the one who Hebrews says to us is a consuming fire. We're meeting the one, Paul says, uh, Paul says, Jesus says, Jesus says, don't worry about those who can take away your life. Worry about him who can take away your life completely. Worry about God. He's in charge if God decides to. He can end the world like that. He made it like that. He can end it like that. He's going to end it like that. You know, one of my favorite lines in C.S. Lewis is where they, they're introducing one of the kids to, to Aslan, um, the, the lion who stands for Jesus. And they say, you know, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. Our God is not some cute cat or kitten. He's a lion. And he is not tame and he cannot, he cannot be treated like a tame God. You know, when we pray, I wonder so often when we pray, we, we come with this idea that we are in control. So God, I've, I've got my I've got my prayer here, I'm going to praise, adoration, thanksgiving, okay, no, 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 no. thanksgiving comes later, praise, adoration. We're in charge of our spiritual journey. We're in charge of, of what happens, but, but that's not the way it works, is it? God says, I'm in charge. You're coming to me, I'm the monarch, I'm the king, and I'm going I'm to take you places that you just weren't expecting to go. I'm going to take you on this massive adventure. 
and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to be amazing, and it's going to be brilliant, and it's going to change your life. If you haven't gone to see The Hobbit, go and see The Hobbit. Because there's something of this in The Hobbit. This, this poor guy, um, the Gandalf comes to, to The Hobbit, and he says, I want to send you on an adventure. And he says, no adventures here. Go and try over there. We don't like adventures here. Which is quite often what we do. No, God, not now. I'm quite happy where I am, thank you. But you know, at the end of the Hobbit story, is he goes on this adventure and it changes his life forever. And you know what? If we pray with this expectation that God is going to take us on an adventure with him, I guarantee you it's going to change our lives. And one day we'll have the most brilliant stories to tell. And maybe not. Maybe not massive things like you went and saved island nations in Africa, if that's possible. Um, But adventure stories nonetheless. You know what? God and I, we went through this. You know what? God and I, there was a situation and it seemed impossible and and, and it just came through. And, And I hope that you've already got some stories like that. As a child, I remember once, Uh, We were going on holiday. Uh, My parents were in ministry. Um, We had all the money ready. A guy came to the door. This is in Africa. Knocked and said, can I have some money for food? Parents gave him some money. But an hour later, we were about to go. On our holiday, first holiday for I don't know how many years. And the wallet was gone. And all the money that had been drawn for the holiday was missing. And just then, the same guy walked back down the road and said, you know, as I was walking away, God said, you go back and give that money back. And he handed over the wallet. I mean, that's a small adventure, but it's an adventure walking with God. You know what? What do we do when we pray? What do we do? We, we speak and we call on the name of Jesus. We, we invoke the name of Jesus. It isn't just the most wonderful thing in Revelation. Right at the end, it says, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Have you ever said something like that? Come, Lord Jesus. And they actually expect Him to come. The early church, this is what they prayed. It's in one of the early church manuals from about the year 100 and something. Come, Lord Jesus. And you know, when the real Jesus actually came and turned up, things happened. All manner of things happened. The kingdom of God just like crashing into our world and and Jesus in the Gospels, he arrives and all of a sudden there's, there's demons being cast out and there's tables being overthrown and there's disciples being led from being fishermen to being fishers of men. And, and these disciples all of a sudden are going out and, and Luke 12, we're told they're casting out demons and they're healing the sick and they're, they're proclaiming the kingdom of God is near and, and they come back to Jesus at the end of Luke chapter 12 and it's like, wow, Lord, do you know we were able to do this and this and this? What an adventure! And Jesus goes, yeah, wow, Satan falling, wow. But you know what? (laughs) Biggest adventure, your names are written in the book of life. Wow. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, once said that 
that when we pray, it's like visiting the dentist. Um, it sounds horrible, but that's kind of his point. C.S. Lewis says that when he went to the dentist, he hated going. He would try and avoid the pain as much as he possibly could. Um, but dentists are wonderful, and they cure the pain. They cure the problem. But, says C.S. the problem with dentists is that they don't leave well enough alone. You arrive at the dentist and say, okay, you've got a hole. I'll fix that for you. Oh, we're going to have to fix that one and that one and that one and that one as well. You see, a dentist doesn't say, I'll just fix that problem. Oh, Lord, please fix this. Okay, done. Oh, Lord, please be with me. Okay, I'll be with you there. God says, oh, Lord, be with Okay, I'll be with you in everything. I'll, I'll, I'm going to do a whole renovation on your life. I'm going to make you to be like me. It's dangerous to say, oh, Lord, come. Oh, Lord, be in my life. Because if we say, come and be in my life, Jesus says, okay. Are you ready? This is going to be big. I'm going to give you the full treatment. Come, Lord Jesus. And then let's go home and have some lunch. What if Jesus actually turned up? I, th- I think it's probably quite common for us to, to pray, and, and it's horribly wrong, but to not really expect God to do something. I pray that we don't. One of my favorite examples is about Acts chapter 12. You remember when Peter's been thrown in jail and is about to be, and he's rescued by an angel, and he walks out and he goes and finds some of the church praying, and what do they pray? Obviously, they're praying for his release. And he knocks on the door and they go, no, it must be his ghost. Yes, oh Lord, rescue Peter. Shut up, he's not there, he's in jail. Oh Lord, set him free. <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that the early church is just as confused as we are today. What about, what about the disciples? You know, prayer at its essence, what is prayer? Prayer is being with Jesus. Talking with him walking with Him, listening to Him, following Him. And so I think if we want to learn what it means to pray, we need to actually look at how people lived with Jesus. That's, that's what we're doing when we're praying. We are living with Jesus. And so what about the disciples? What about the disciples? Their lives were so wonderful before Jesus came. They were fishermen. Get up in the morning, bring some fish in, go home. Get up in the morning, bring some fish in, go home. Ordered, nice and easy. And then Jesus arrives and turns their world upside down. Says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verse 70-something. And then we come to, to about Mark chapter 5, and Jesus says, Okay, now, get in the boat, follow me across. And... and if you read that chapter there, Jesus actually forces them to get in the boat to go across. And he, I reckon he forces them because they're sailors and they know that the weather is pathetic and they don't want to get in the boat and cross the lake because this is going to be horrible. Jesus says, go. Ooh. Ooh, is that like prayer? Jesus sometimes says, go, and we go, not a good idea, Lord. But they went. And it was horrible. 
And then Jesus walked towards them and the waves calmed. And then Mark, that was Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 5, you remember this incident? Or the other way around, Mark chapter 6, they arrive at the region of the Gerasenes. These poor disciples. I mean, this is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. All of a sudden, he arrives there, there's this lunatic man who cannot be locked up. People treat him like a wild animal. He's running around naked through the graveyards and the tombs and the hills, and he's slicing himself. And he's, 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 not, just, he's not just mad. He's got legions of demons in him. What has Jesus done? He's taken them across a lake to a place of brokenness and damaged and lunatic men. I will make you fishes of men. Oh look, there's a man. He's running at us as if he wants to kill us. And he's screaming at Jesus. And Jesus takes charge and he you remember the story, and he, he, just with a couple of words, the demons are cast out into this herd of pigs, 2,000 pigs, and they rush over the cliff and they drown. <laughs> and if you ever look at that passage, the only time the disciples are mentioned, it's in passing, right at the end of the story, the herdsmen and those who saw explained to the townsfolk what Jesus had done. The disciples are just going... Jesus is scary. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> like seriously scary. And the townspeople there are just sort of, go away, Jesus. But we can handle, we can handle a madman. We can handle a guy with demons in him. We, just, we send him out into the hills and we ignore him. Just how do we handle you? How do we, how do we handle you, Jesus? Go away. Please, go away. Just go away. Because you're more dangerous to us than the demons. has this got to do with prayer? I bet you're wondering. If prayer is about talking and being with Jesus, is it surprising that when we pray and when we follow Jesus, he leads us into places like that? say, oh Lord, have control of my life. <laughs> Just don't show up and drag me somewhere I don't want to go. Don't make me cross a lake when I know I shouldn't and don't make me go to a place where the people don't want us to be there. And they want, don't want to know about you because and certainly don't take me to a place where I'm going to feel uncomfortable. 
where there's a madman who might try and kill us. God is not a tame God. If you go and read that Mark passage, please do this afternoon. One of the ways they describe the man, the demoniac, is that nobody could tame him. Jesus tamed the guy with the demons. But it's Jesus that nobody can tame. Jesus who goes to the untamable. It's Jesus who steps into the horrible places, into the things the world has almost given up on. It's Jesus in, in all instances who, who initiates the relationship with us. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. You know, so often we, we say, I want to just pray and just draw me from this world of care and sorrows because this world is so horrible. Oh, Lord, just oh, draw me away from this world. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't gather his disciples to himself and go, okay, let's go and set up a little community where we can be a nice community all by ourselves. You know the Dead Sea Scrolls found in Qumran? Um, that was a community which tried to do that. They separated themselves. They said, we will be the good community. We will be withdrawn from all the cares and the worries of the world. Jesus comes and Jesus says, I will go to the places where there are cares and there are worries and there is horribleness and there is disgustingness and I will go and I will take those who follow me with. Prayer is following Jesus, speaking with Jesus, going where he goes, listening to what he says. You know, sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's huge things, like going out through all the towns that Jesus was going to come to. But I think Jesus always leads us into places of brokenness. That's where he goes. Didn't, didn't he himself say, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick? And Jesus could lead you to go and share a meal with someone who is lonely. Maybe write a letter or give a phone call to someone who's feeling down or, or discouraged. Give somebody who's hurt you. I wonder how often Jesus would visit a refugee camp. 
know how often Jesus would go and feed the, the homeless. I know there are people in the church here who have done that. As you see, when we say to Jesus, come into my life, let's, let's, let me answer your call. Let me, let me live with you. Let me speak with you. Let me hear you speak to me. When Jesus speaks, he doesn't just say, be comfortable, my child. He says, be at peace, my child. And let's get busy. See, it's a big adventure. And that's what Luke 12 is all about. Jesus is choosing these 72 disciples to go ahead of him into all the places where he was going to go. And, and by the way, probably a lot of Gentile places there. And notice Jesus says there, forget about food, forget about drinks, eat whatever they give you. Just as an aside. And he says, most important, I want you to go and tell people that the kingdom of God is near. Just, just notice there, first off, who does the sending is Jesus. <laughs> the harvest is great, says Jesus. There are going to be people in the kingdom of heaven who need to hear the good news. And how will they be saved unless they hear? And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody tell them unless they are sent? And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, Ask therefore for the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Why? And this is one of the few times when Jesus says specifically, Pray for this. Why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus just pray for it? Maybe because, maybe because Jesus wants us to look at the world the way he looks at the world. Why don't we pray for the harvesters to come more often? Maybe because we don't think it will actually make any difference. I'm talking to the most powerful person in all the universe. I think it will make a difference. Maybe the real reason is because we are comfortable and we don't want to go out on another adventure. See, this is, this is one of the strange things about prayer. <laughs> and specifically here, when we pray, how often doesn't God change something in us? 
I love this. Jesus says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers out. Get going. Go. Now, if, if we're really praying according to God's wishes, then how can we pray, oh, Lord, there is such a need, there is such a need, there are people here who don't know you, there are people here who, who are going to die, there are people here who are going to go to hell, Lord, there are people here who don't know you. Send someone. Just not me. I think God would look at us and go, excuse me? If you really cared about the people out there, oh, but Nick, I'm not an evangelist. Les, are you an evangelist? You go out on Saturday morning sometime? Val, are you an evangelist? You're compelled, but you're compelled to do it. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, what we think evangelist means having to have the right gifts and the skills and the whatnot, and it's not. It's absolutely not. I mean, what does Jesus say to the seventy-two? He says, he says, right, off you go. Um, forget the sandals. Forget the walking stick. Forget the purse. Forget the wallet. Don't take the credit card along. Um, don't, don't, you're busy. Don't stop to talk to people along the way. Just go. Get going. Leave all the needs that you have. Why? Because, well, you're going for me. And you're going to bless people. And, and what is the blessing? The, may the peace of God be with you. Oh, yes, because you're so, so godly that you can get... No, it's my blessing. What is the message you're giving? The kingdom of God is near. Is that because you've arrived? No, it's because I'm arriving. Nothing to do with us. God's just saying, get out there and live as a follower of mine. And for goodness sake, if you're excited about the fact that I'm coming, tell people. And for goodness sake, if there is work that needs to be done, pray. You know, these disciples, as they went out, they weren't expecting to cast out all these demons. You know, have a look at the end of, end of chapter 12 here in Luke. What do they say? Uh, if I can find it. Chapter 10, sorry, not chapter 12. They say to him, um, in verse 70, the 72, they returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in my name, in your name, Lord. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. I was just going to tell people, hey, the Lord's coming, the kingdom of God is near. And all of a sudden, when, when I do stuff in your name, wow. Now, don't go out and think we can all cast out demons. Actually, go out and think we can all cast out demons. If God says, cast out that demon. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And you see, this is, this is what prayer, this is what makes it so dangerous. This is what makes prayer dangerous. 
Two things. When we pray, God says, yep, I love you, I care for you, I'm going to be there for you, but also I'm going to give you the full treatment, and boy, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to use you to bless others, and I'm going to send you to places that you don't want to go. He's 72, Jesus said, I'm sending you like lambs among the wolves. And some places are going to kick you out of the town. Let's pray. That's dangerous enough for me. It's also dangerous. It's also dangerous because we are dealing with God. And God will do what God will do, and God will blow our minds. What's that beautiful benediction? Now unto him who is able to do more than we can even begin to imagine be glory and honor and power and thanks. More than we can imagine. Our imaginations are pretty impressive and God can do more than that. And we're speaking to Him. My brothers and sisters, I hope that when we pray, we do not pray to attain God. And I hope that when we pray, we actually expect God to do things. And I hope that when we pray, we actually expect that to put our feet into gear. There's no good praying, uh, preaching about praying without actually praying. So what I'm going to, what I'm going to, can I do this, Anna Marie? Wonderful. Um, as you notice, we've, we've got a time of prayer every, every week. Um, and the fourth week of the month is congregational prayer. So what I'm going to do is just, just get into groups of two or three or four or however many people you want. Um, and let's pray boldly. Let's pray Luke chapter 10, verse 2, with each other, and then use that as a launching pad to pray for God to work in us and through us and by us. We'll just spend five minutes doing that.